0: We indies are rebelling again. Gone are the days of publishing a book a month until we drop. And in its place are the seeds of a better way to rapid release. A way that feels incredible as we build a sustainable, lifelong author career that not only increases our visibility and royalties, but it's all done with intention and ease. If you're ready to buck the system and become the visionary authorpreneur I know you're meant to be, you've come to the right place. I'm Carissa Andrews, international best-selling indie author, and this is the Author Revolution Podcast. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Author Revolution Podcast. I am really excited about today's interview. Now, this is one that's been in the works for quite a while now. I started following author E.E. Holmes way back when I first started writing and everything. I would see her Facebook ads literally everywhere. And they were fantastic ads. So I was always clicking on them going, "Ooh, what is this book? What is it? And so I'd check it out and I'd try to get more information and put it on my to-be-read list. And now when I was finally starting to write or get ready to write the Windhaven books, I decided now is the time to get into that spooky vibe and to read some of Emily's books. So what I found out was not only do I love her style of writing and the way that her books come out, but I think she's a really fantastic person as well. I'm telling you, if she lived in Minnesota, we'd probably be getting coffee all the time. (laughs) She is that awesome. So today we're going to be talking about a lot of things. We talk about her books, how she got started, a little more about the Gateway trilogy, which is the trilogy that I've read, all of the different things that she's been working on and kind of how her indie author career came about and how it's progressed. So if you are a lover of paranormal fantasy, you're going to love this interview and you're going to definitely love her books. They are really, really good. So without further ado, let's talk to E.E. Holmes, Emily, (laughs) and we'll have a great chat. And she also gives you some author advice at the end. Let's get to it. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for joining the Author Revolution podcast. I'm super excited that you are here today. So I have explained a little bit about you and how I came about uh, in your writing world. And so I'm just wondering if you can explain to my audience a little bit about who you are and how you started out as an author.
1: Sure, sure. So, um, I actually started my career, I was a, a, a big uh, theater nerd in high school, and so I was a theater major in college. But I've always loved to read, I've always loved to write. Um, I started out writing plays for my students. Wow, uh, how I got started in sort of actually completing longer writing projects, you know, I was the queen of starting something on my computer and then just, you know, five, 10,000 words into it. It just kind of petered off. So, uh, so I actually started writing, um, writing plays for my students, um, one act plays. And, uh, I loved that. And I was teaching theater and English at the time mm-hmm. and, I was trotting out all the old classics to my English students to try to get them to be excited about English class. But it's like really hard to be excited about English class when you're reading like 1984. (laughs) Um, You're like 16 and you like just want to be on your phone and like off with your friends doing something else. So um, I started asking my students who did like to read in their spare time, what do you read? Like, what do you like to read? What do you get excited about? And so it wasn't exactly a book club, but my students started bringing in books for me when they were finished. They're like, I just finished this one. This was awesome. All my friends are talking about this one, you know, whatever. And that's how I was, you know, roped into reading the Twilight books, (laughs) (laughs) Vampire Academy and like all this stuff, you know, and, um, I started to see a real trend in what my students were reading that were, it was very geared toward the paranormal. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's fun. I mean, I get that. I get why you would be excited about that. I would occasionally get roped into those television shows. Um, those live action ghost hunting yes. shows they have on TV. remember yep. ghost hunters. Do you ever watch yep. that? I have been roped into those types of shows a couple times and I was flicking around, you know, on the TV. And I thought to myself, wow, that's wild. You know, like, I wonder what it would be like. You know, this is where the what if sort of came from. You know, I was already thinking, I'd love to work on a project that my students would actually enjoy reading. Maybe we can make a thing out of it. Maybe I can craft a paranormal... Uh, fiction unit, because it seems to get their attention, but but I could pull in stuff from the writing Mm -hmm. closet, like some Edgar Allan Poe, or some, you know, some Southern Gothic short stories, you know, something like that, and um, I was watching one of these shows one night, and, you know, some of it's kind of cheesy, but then every once in a while, something happens that kind of makes you wonder, you know, like, what was that? What did they really find there you know was that really something is there something that can't be explained and so I sort of put those two things together in my head and I thought I've read a lot of paranormal fiction that these kids are into but not a single one of them has been a ghost story and it felt like this little hole in the genre that wasn't really being filled and I thought mom maybe I could do something with that I don't know that feels kind of cool. Like, what would it be like if you're just a kid just trying to live your life and you're walking along your college campus and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I see ghosts. Yeah. But I believe in ghosts. So how do you reconcile those things and how, you know, it's, it's the whole idea of urban fantasy sort of, you know, you take something paranormal, you take normal life, you mash them up and chaos ensues. And so that was the seed for that idea. And then that's how I got started. And I've just been doing it ever since.
0: That's so fantastic. I, I originally found you because of the Gateway Trilogy. Um, so that's the one that you're talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that my audience yeah. knows what what you're talking about. And it was one of those, I was trying to get into like the mindset because I was actually writing, it was based off of a, a dream I had when I was 14. So the story had been sitting there, wrote a really terrible first draft when I was 14. Don't ask. <laughs>
1: um, but well, I, I wrote middle school poetry. You don't have right? to tell me about right. like, oh, like all like the angsty
0: poetry. yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh man. But I was trying to get into the mindset and I kept seeing your ads on Facebook. And I I want to talk about that a little bit later, but seriously, it was like, they were everywhere. And I was like, I have got to read this because it just, they they were standing out to me. And it was, I don't know. I'm kind of one of those people that I do actually love the paranormal. I love the concept of it. And so when that sort of thing happens, it's like, is that the universe pointing me towards what I need to read? Yes, it is. So that's what I did. (laughs) And I fell in love with it. It's such a great story. So it's interesting to hear how you actually developed that process. Once you started with the first book, like, did you know it was going to be a trilogy as you started that process?
1: Yes. I originally planned it as a trilogy. I'm not a super detailed outliner, but I do give myself a once upon a time and this happens and that happens and this happens the end. I like to give myself lots of leeway along the way to make discoveries, but but I knew that it was a longer story than just one book. I knew that it, the story was loosely planned over three. And what I didn't expect was that that would then extend yeah. into like a spinoff series. That was <laughs> yep. not planned at all. I knew
0: right um, where you were going with that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but yeah. That was, um. it was always, it was always three books in my brain. That was the original arc of the story. And the original plan had just been to write those three books just to say that I wrote them, you know, I did it, I put it on the page, I got it, you know, I put it out there, it's on my bookshelf. And it was really my husband, who uh, was the person who, he's the logical guy, he's the business guy, he's the, you know, every flighty, imaginative author brain needs a (laughs) grounded, (laughs) Yes, logical brain, sometimes (laughs) offset, you know, like what's going on. And he was the one who really sat down. He was like, no, you know what? With this, we can do something with this. This this feels like something that could get some momentum. You know, the the initial feedback was really good. And he said, I think we need to treat this like a small business. I think we need to invest in it. And I think we need to see where it can take us. And now it's both of our full-time jobs.
0: So right, how amazing yeah, is that? It's
1: crazy. It's, crazy. it's Oh, that is
0: crazy. so cool. So you, you originally didn't think, Hey, I want to be an author full-time or anything like that. It was just,
1: I mean, it was, I thought of it in the same way that you think like I'm going to be on Broadway, you know, like it's right. like, it's <laughs> a type dream. It's totally crazy, you know? And when I set out to write it, I was writing just for the joy of writing it. You know, I was going to share it with my students And, you know, maybe I could do something with it. I wound up meeting and befriending a local author. His name is Norm Gautreaux. And he's he's brilliant. A a Trad Pub author, um, Massachusetts Book Award winner, just like, just a brilliant, brilliant guy who lived in my hometown at the time, um, was looking for some uh, student actors to do some voices and some book trailers for him because he had had a bad experience in Trad Pub. He got burned by his publisher went under. He couldn't get his rights back to his book. It was a whole mess. And so he had turned to self-publishing or indie publishing, as we like to call it. And so I sort of got into it through him. He was saying, look, if you want to put your books out there, even if all you want to do is put them on your own shelf, there's a way to do that. You can do that. And he walked me. He was so generous and so kind. He he did not. I mean, all I did was lend him like a couple of my drama kits for like an hour. And he like... (laughs) Helped me. He seriously. He designed the original cover for wow. Spirit Legacy for me. He. I mean, he was just. He formatted my original interior, like all for, just because he was so excited to take somebody else through the process because he found it so liberating. You yeah. know, I I did do initially the querying of the agents and the yep. you know the rejection and the and the, you know it was it was a very long frustrating fruitless process, as as it usually is, basically for right. most everybody. Yep. It's a long, hard slog until you find that right match with a with an agent, if you ever do. And so I thought, well, you know what, in the meantime, maybe this is a good route to take. This was really, I mean, this was God, this was 2013, I think. So mm. really indie publishing was kind of just really taking off. Yep. <laughs> um and so my husband saw the potential. I thought, you know what, maybe we just get it out there. Maybe I can get some readers. Maybe I can build a little bit of like a grassroots readership. And then, then maybe in a year or two, I can turn around with my next project and submit it. I was really looking at it as like a means to an end at first, you know, put this first project out there, get some readers, get some, you know, I can say, look, I've sold a lot of books or I've got a lot of readers ready for my next project. Like, this isn't a total gamble. You could take a chance on me and this could potentially be good yeah. um, because that's really what they're doing with debut authors. I mean, they're really rolling. Oh, for sure. the Just don't know. <laughs> you yeah. know. You don't have a, a, a following already. So that's how it started. And once you get going like that and it actually snowballs and you have a readership and you have people pre-ordering your books and you realize, oh my gosh, I can do any project I want. I can do it on my own timeline. I'm not answering to anybody. No mean editor is going to tell me I have to cut my favorite (laughs) scene. You know, I mean to myself. I try to be mean to myself sometimes. Be like, no, Emily, you like that line too much, which means you know it has to go. You You know, try to like be a little rough on myself, you know. But when it comes down to it, once you get into a group, you find the freedom of it. It's intoxicating. It's great. It's wonderful. And I, you know, I've had enough, I've heard enough horror stories Honestly, there are horror stories on both sides of the board. Sure. There are very wrong ways to do it in the indie world and very wrong ways to do it in the, <laughs> the TradPub world. But I just find that I've figured things out to the point where if I were ever to make the shift into TradPub, it would it would have to be a sweetheart of a deal. Because once you right. get into a groove with indie publishing, man, it's it's pretty awesome.
0: It is super awesome. It's one of the most... And like you said, liberating experiences, especially knowing that, like, if you have an idea that isn't quite um, to market just yet, like if you have an idea that is maybe ahead of its time, like a ghost story paranormal, I mean, if traditional is not looking for that right now, it, it doesn't matter what publishing house you're trying to sell it to. They're just not going to buy it right now. And being able to put it out there in a way that, that's already out there, it's gaining readership. And then when it does open in the marketplace, you're already like, hey, here's this thing that's already written, guys. <laughs>
1: Right. You're, you're ahead of you that game. First, come yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're ready
0: to just be like, here's the thing you're looking for.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it just, it was kismet. It just worked out, you know, it was the right time to try to get into the indie publishing game. And it has evolved a lot over the past few years. I mean, it's one of those things. It is constantly evolving. I mean, you Agreed. really know probably better than anybody doing this podcast how important it is to stay on top of the market, stay on top of the trends, stay on top of the newest ways to advertise. There's, I mean, there are always apps and Mm. software and all these things coming out that are supposed to make authors' lives easier, but you Mm. have to wade through all of that and you really have to figure out what works in real time and adjust in real time. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. Oh, for sure not. not. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) But,
1: But just like any small business, I mean, if you treat it, like a small business, it can work for you like a small business. Yep. The sky's the limit. I mean, that's, that's the great thing about it.
0: I agree. I agree. So last year I I started following you after I, after I read the gateway trilogy and well, I think it was probably midstream. I was like, okay, I need to follow her. And you were, you were just kind of getting active again. It seemed on Twitter and you're talking, I mean, we're both moms. And so you were talking about how like the pandemic was such a pain (laughs) to try to keep your creative groove up. Have you felt like you've gotten that back or how did you manage the, the pandemic and being a mom with all, you know, your kids at home and, and everything that was going on then?
1: Yeah. So I didn't handle it well. Um, <laughs> I think like a did lot any of us? Of us? There, there was like a real, so we're, we're on the struggle bus there for quite a while. Um, it was, uh, it was really intense. So I have, uh, they're a grade old now, but when this all started, I had a preschooler. Mm. and a second grader. And so I went from having my days while they were at school. I mean, that was my process. You know, I, we'd get everybody up and out the door, I get them off to school. I get home, I get in front of my computer and I'd work just as much as I could until I had to go pick somebody up, you know, and it was, uh, it was working, you know, it was great. I had finally gotten to the point where I had two kids in school, like, and not at home, like, for snacks, like 12 mm-hmm. times a minute. Like yes, yes. <laughs> I had this new sense of like, yes, I I'm free. Like I actually have these blocks of time where I can work. And then it was like the universe was like boom, universe. And, yes. and I was gone, like just gone, you know. I, I was um, right
0: there with you. My my youngest was in kindergarten. It was the same thing. He finally had gone full di- full-time school. <laughs> we had like three months no
1: better feeling is there man oh. i mean and i love my kids don't get me wrong i adore them yeah. but man, yeah you, it's the the freedom you have and you realize it's just freedom to work it's not even like you're sitting i'm like yeah i'm gonna watch you know like eight hours of television and you know and right like, Hey, i can do work uninterrupted yeah. it's like it's like a whole new thing so i, I was totally get so it. I was all excited to increase my productivity, increase my book releases per year. I was releasing two books a year prior to that okay. um, with my kids at home. And yeah. so now I was like, okay, like now I can really like, let's go, you know? And then of course the pandemic hit. And <laughs> I mean, I, we, we finished out that first school year, almost like homeschooling. We like mm-hmm. needed a routine. I was like, yeah. we can't just like, I mean, they were like little pinballs. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like, we can't do this. Yeah. We had to come up with a whole structure to their day, which was good because once their day had a structure, my husband and I could split it up and then we could like fake getting some work done, like in the time the other person <laughs> was trying to handle things. But right. it was a mess. I mean, it was. And then the following year, we did a remote school. So it was remote Mm -hmm. kindergarten and remote third, which is exactly as ridiculous as it sounds. I mean remote kindergarten is like
0: (laughs) Yeah, good luck. Oh my (laughs) Lord.
1: Every teacher who tried to teach remote kindergarten deserves I don't know, sainthood or like
0: right. A a two
1: week paid vacation somewhere really tropical where someone just hands you drinks because I I mean it was a nightmare. Did yours so,
0: have like breaks built in? Because ours like literally, so when he was in kindergarten, it was one of those situations where it was like, they wanted him to sit for an hour and a half. And I'm like, dude, he's five. He's yeah. not going to sit that long.
1: Yeah. We heard a lot of, you know, the, the kindergarten teacher being like, you know, Lisa, <laughs> honey, can you climb down off your dresser? That doesn't look safe. You know, like, things, like things. because yes. a lot of parents had no choice but to put their kid in front of the computer, you know, and then just like. <sighs> You know, oh, <laughs> yes. God, let this work, you know, and then off they go. And then just because they have to work too. Like your job just doesn't disappear just because your kid is home. Yeah. So it was like everybody lost. Everybody was losing. Nobody was doing school wasn't as good as we wanted it to be. So much parent guilt because you got your kids trapped inside. I mean, it was, I am not going to sugarcoat it. it. It was, it was a nightmare. It, I, it <laughs> was so long to get this book out that I just released the rebel beneath the stairs came out on Halloween and yeah I mean that's the longest it's taken me to write a book since I started writing because there was just no momentum there was no feeling of getting into a groove there was no every spark of inspiration was you know doused out you know five seconds after I had it because somebody got mad at somebody and threw a pillow at somebody. And now this is broken and I have to go clean it up. And, you know, yes. Oh my Lord. It was, uh, yeah, it was not fun. Um, (laughs) and I know that almost any parent that you talk to will have a similar horror story. So yeah, the indie author parents had it no better. It was, was not good.
0: (laughs) No, for us, we we're used to being home. I mean, so at least we, you know, we have that opportunity where it's like, we're already home. So at least that part of the routine was normal, but it was, it was like having a summer vacation hit in the middle of March. It was like, what is happening right now? And yeah, they didn't go back. Ours, ours didn't go back either until this year. And so it was just, it was, it was crazy. It, It was not fun. And we had like the teenagers and the young ones. And of course the teenagers are like, good luck trying, like they're as bad as the kindergartners. They don't want to be on any calls or anything.
1: Yes. Yeah. And they're smart enough to know how to get out of them too, which is Mm -hmm. like, they've got all the tricks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're like, Oh, I totally turned it on and then walked away and just did my own thing. "What? (laughs) What are you doing? No. Uh, yeah. It was crazy. It was, I'm so glad that they're actually back in school. And my youngest just finally got his first vaccine yesterday. So thank and God.
1: Yes. my Both of mine had their first dose on the, uh, on Monday. So oh. that was a watershed moment for yes. the family. To, like finally feel like some, I'm going to like, remember what a deep breath feels like. again. No kidding. Oh.
0: Right. It was, so it good. was, A long time coming. It's that it's that one final kid where you're like everyone's still wearing a mask everywhere because that one final kid.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. We will finally be a fully vaccinated house, and that is going to be a really good feeling
0: for sure. For sure. Okay, so until last year, twenty twenty was kind of like the the time the tipping point of leaving the Gateway series behind, right? Because you were working on the Gateway trilogy and then the Gateway Trackers, which is the spinoff you were just talking about not super long ago. So before we talk about the new stuff that you're writing, like how did the, the spinoff then happen? Like you said that it, it wasn't planned, but you, you've you written a lot of Gateway Tracker books. So yes. like, how did that happen? And, and what was the process?
1: Sure, sure. So um, when I was releasing book three was when I felt like I was finally getting some momentum. Anybody who's tried to market books online knows that, it can feel very futile if you just got one book or maybe two books and you're trying to market them and actually make money. It's extraordinarily hard to do. Like, I feel like, you know, with that first book, you're kind of just pouring the money into it at a loss so that you can get as many people as possible to read that first book and want to read the second book. You know, right. um, once you've got two books out, at least there's a little bit of read through. But when, why and I release the third book was when I felt like we were actually starting to get a little bit of momentum with readership and stuff like that. And I remember sitting down with my husband and being like, how do we keep this up? These readers, almost every single correspondence, comment, email, whatever I got from a reader was, what's the next adventure going to be for these characters? Like, what are they going to do? You're going to write more books with these people, right? Right. (laughs) I guess yes I am because
0: as a matter of fact
1: (laughs) it felt foolish to walk away from a world and a character base that had people asking for more stories from them and Mm -hmm. at that point the world building had expanded to a point where I felt like wow there are actually quite a few directions I could go with this within the same world of the gateway yeah but Um, Just branching out in the types of stories that I'm telling. And so I decided to go with the gateway trackers. The original idea was that it can almost be like what people do with a um, detective series or a mystery series where each book could just be like a totally separate adventure that they go on, you know, as trackers, they would be assigned cases in, in, and for, you know, people who aren't familiar with the books, we're talking about um, people, who can see ghosts and communicate with ghosts and cross them over, being assigned the task of going places where spirits are perhaps out of control or causing a lot of mayhem and mischief, getting to the bottom of it and getting those spirits to cross over. So that was kind of the original idea behind the Tracker series. But because I'm me and my brain works the way that it does... (laughs) The series very much started to have like a through arc to it, like an overarching, you know, um, obviously the character relationships and all that, that all develops and carries through all the books. But I started to kind of pull them together a little bit more as like another series that had another separate, larger arc to it. Right. Um, and it just kind of happened. That was just how it happened. My brain has a very hard time thinking of things like separately and episodically. Same it likes yes. to, you know, paint giant sweeping rainbow arcs over things and
0: <laughs> love it. connect
1: it all together, you know, because you remember that feeling as a reader, right? When you start a series and then you're going through the series and all those little Easter eggs that mm-hmm. were early on in the series that then have these huge payoffs later in the series. And you just yeah. love that feeling of satisfaction you get, you know, when you're reading that and you realize, Oh my gosh, I thought that was a throwaway line in book one, but now it means everything in book five. And it's just, I can't, I, I, uh, I get very caught up in stuff like that. And so I like to, it's one of those author things. I'm always trying my hand at always trying to
0: and as a reader, I can that. tell you that's why I love your books. <laughs> so oh, keep good. doing that, okay?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I can stop if I try. So <laughs> good,
0: good. <laughs> I, I definitely love that. I've, I've always, I myself do the same thing uh, when I'm writing because I just love those Easter eggs and I love being able to put something. And sometimes it happens accidentally where it's like I don't know why I'm writing this particular thing, but it, it'll have a significance later. We'll just leave it there. And then you're writing book three, and all of a sudden you're like. Oh, that's why I needed to have that little uh-huh. aha, <laughs> you know. And the reader just thinks you always. Right. It. Yes,
1: yeah. yes, it's like the brain is smarter than yourself, you right. know. And, and and it's it's thinking ahead, even though you haven't put every single piece of the puzzle together. It's like you're leaving yourself little presents that you can open yes. later. You
0: know, oh, I love that. What yeah. a great way to describe that! I love that so much. <laughs> okay, so. You have obviously switched up things though. So now you've left the world of of Gateway, at least for now, right? Um, Um, And and you're writing in a new world called the Rift Magic Saga. So that's completely different. uh, Book one, What the Ladies Made New was released a year ago, right? And then you just said that the second book was released this year. And we'll talk about that in a second, I guess, because I had that on my list. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like when you switched gears and you wrote in a completely different world building? Was it weird or was it kind of relieving?
1: Um, it was both. I felt really good about how I wrapped up the Gateway series. I felt like I left the possibility to go back there, but I felt, I hoped at least, that I had wrapped it up with enough of a bow that people would feel like, okay, like everyone's going to be good. I think I feel okay stepping away from this. We've left things in, in a somewhat resolved state. Yes. Many people are not happy unless every single character <laughs> is married off and has three children. And like, they're, <laughs> they're, like they can't, you know, they're yeah. not going to let it go, you know. So, but I felt okay stepping away because I had, had this idea brewing in my brain. I am a huge Anglophile, like huge, like British television, British movies. British humor books. Like, I don't know if it's just like my biology, like calling to me. Cause that's like historically, my family is all like England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales up there. Yep. So for some reason it's always has held a huge fascination for me. And I also love historical fiction. So, and actually this is not a lot of people know this, but spirit legacy started as a Victorian Gothic. I wrote about a really? hundred pages of the same basic concept of the Durapinin and the girl finding out about her gift and all of that set in a Victorian Gothic setting. Oh, cool. And then I got 100 pages in. I was teaching full time at the time. I was a theater teacher. I, I was working like a flobbity jillion hours a week, like you do before you have kids. And I was like, I don't have time to do this research. I can't research this book properly. Like I can't, I I just want to be able to write the scenes and, and have the story come together. And so I decided to take that advice, which I usually throw right out the window, which is write what, you know. And I thought, okay, I'm still in love with this concept. So I'm going to plunk it down at a college in central Massachusetts. That is blatantly modeled on the college that I went to, which is the college of the Holy Cross. (laughs) And, um, And then that way i'm not worried about research i can just go i can just go 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 and i can just you know start writing and so i did i i scrapped that hundred pages and i started again and um yeah i know and it was not easy to do right i mean you know i love i love everything about that time period but i told myself i was like i will come back to this i will come back to it and in fact it was one of the reasons why i loved writing plague of the shattered because it was the first time I got to go back and forth between time periods a little bit, because I had these journal entries that I was putting in from a spirit from the past that lived during that time and was a Durapine and during that time. So, in a way, oh, it was cool. like my love letter to that first draft that I had. I'm like, I'm going to bring that back in here just a yeah. little bit, just to play with it, make me feel a little better that I had to scrap those 100 pages. So, I started doing all of that with the new series, and it was, um, moving to rift magic was exciting but it was also really scary because it felt like that blank slate you know yeah. where i didn't have characters that i already knew to fall back on like it was a very easy when i got stuck i was like i'm just going to write another conversation with milo in it because now i know exactly what's <laughs> yes. happening he'll get me there he'll get me there i have
0: I, he's I so go- funny i love him <laughs> <laughs>
1: so i'm like you know but now it was like okay like from scratch and that is simultaneously like thrilling and terrifying yeah um, because you doubt yourself that's where that's where the imposter syndrome really kicks in when you oh, start like, sure. a whole new project and then you're like Whoa. as it turns out 11 <laughs> later i cannot write i do not know how to write a book I used, I've forgotten how it
0: all left my brain.
1: Now they're gone. And I don't know what a book is. I don't know <laughs> what words are anymore, how to put them together. So, um, that was all very interesting. I mean, I, and I switched up everything, you know, the new series is multiple POV. It's third person, multiple POV. You know, Ooh. I wrote the whole gateway, all the gateway books are first person. Yep. One point of view. That's it. Yep. Um, and so apparently, I just decided I was like really going to torture myself. But <laughs> yes. Everything up. But I. Knew, but you also you know how it is. The idea for the book pops into your brain, and you know, or at least you think you know what narrative style is going to serve that story best. Yes. And it's not always the easiest narrative style, but yeah. sometimes you just have to roll with it because you know that's what the story needs, and what the story deserves. And so this new series, um, like I said, I'm a huge Anglophile, way into the British stuff. I was a massive Downton Abbey fan. And I loved the, I loved the intrigue. I loved the class issues that arose, the upstairs, downstairs. You know, it was like yep. two different worlds in one house. And in my, one day in my brain, I thought, what would that be like? Except there was magic involved. Like Downton Abbey meets Harry Potter. Yeah. But like. But like in Gilead, you know, like splash a handmaid's tale thrown in there. You know what I mean? There's this element of magic being suppressed. People are afraid of it. You know, people with magic being forced into certain roles in society, never being able to rise above that because of this fear people have of the unexplained. And so all those things wrapped up together in my brain. And I had that idea from the time i finished the gateway trilogy wow. so i wrote all of the trackers books with this other idea like percolating in the back of my brain thinking what? to myself i can't wait to get to this i can't wait to get to this i can't wait to get to this and then i finally got to it and it was like ah, oh god <laughs> what do i do now you know i have to start in the this. pandemic oh <laughs> yes and, yes Exactly in a <laughs> pandemic, like just as my work time and my inspiration and my mental health come to a screeching halt. Right. I'm like launch into <laughs> this I don't I don't know why I do this. Why do we do this to ourselves? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but like my brain refused. Like I'm like, this is the no, this is the project. This is the one. Yeah. I'm like, I just have to power through. And and you know you do you just you do it took longer it was not a pretty process it took more drafting it took more scrapping it took more of everything but it happened and when it happened i was really i was really proud of myself i was like this i with this still managed to to come when i felt like i had nothing left of myself to put to put into right. anything you know right and and it still it still happened and in a way, I will always be grateful for that because I feel like anytime I'm feeling stuck or unmotivated or unsure of a project, I need to remind myself that, that I did that, you know, that that mm-hmm. happened and I did it and I didn't think I would ever be able to and it happened and if that could happen. Whatever Anything. new project, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, bring it at this point,
0: right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 I made it through the pandemic and made my books happen. Screw that! Come on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. There's a certain amount of of you know personal triumph involved in that to know that you were able to make that happen. Yes. And I'm happy to say, you know, the second book, of course, took forever to write because that was all still during the pandemic. But now that that second book is out. My kids are back in school, you know, one dose of the vaccine down. My anxiety level <laughs> yes. is, is lowering at the same time that my work time is coming back to me. I decided to do NaNoWriMo for the first time ever. ever.
0: First time ever? What?
1: I signed up for it in like 2016 <laughs> back when I had like kids at home. Like I was going to write 50,000 words in one month. Like that was a thing that was going to happen. <laughs> I had like a, like a yeah. one I had like a one-year-old and a four-year-old and I had just- That's always when I'm most
0: productive. I'm like, you'll play on the
1: floor here. (laughs) And I think literally, I think I made it like two days and I was like, okay, well, this is not for me at this point (laughs) in my life. I love it. So I scrapped it and I never thought about it again. And well, I shouldn't say never thought about it it again. I thought about it almost every year that it came up. But there's a lot of timing involved with NaNoWriMo. I feel like you need to be in a good place with whatever project you're working on mm. that you feel like you can launch into 50,000 words like that. Yeah. You you it's almost almost like you have to be poised on the diving board at the yep. beginning of the month. And if you're not, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot and I have a lot of late fall releases. So I feel like it's never, for whatever reason, I seem to do that a lot. It's just like the cycle that I'm on. So I mm-hmm. never felt like I was ready. Either I had a book that was coming out very shortly or I had just released one and I was barely in the outlining stage. And for the first time this year, I felt like I was in a really good place where I could just like jump in and go. So I went for it. And so far I'm like relatively on track, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, and the way I figure it's, it's like a win-win for me because even if I don't hit 50,000 words, like even if that doesn't happen, I still will have given my, my, productivity a boost. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's nice to have that motivation. Like even if I come out shy of 50,000 words, I will probably be 10 to 20,000 words ahead of where I would have been if I just, you know, continued as though this were a regular writing month. So I'm actually yeah. really glad that I did it regardless of whether I hit that 50,000 or not. It's been a really good way to keep my momentum going. For And sure. to keep the storytelling going. And there's something to be said for it being book three too. You know, it's like, it's all set up. You're just like, you just got to write the thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you just had a new release, *Rebel Beneath the Stairs*, like you said, just came out last month, uh, which is book two of the Rift Magic saga. So, for those who don't really understand or haven't like switched into it, I guess, why should they try it? Why should they read it if they've maybe if they've already read the Gateway stuff? What really should draw them into this particular series? Do you think?
1: Well, I hope that readers who enjoyed the gateway series will at least give this a try. I mean, genre wise, it is definitely different. And because of the time period it's written in, you know, it's like late 1800s. The, the, dialogue is very different. The style is very different. What I hope remains the same are the, uh, are the elements of world building, the elements of the paranormal, the magical, the unexplained. And also I really hope that they connect with the characters. That's one thing that I am always so happy to hear from readers is that they like my characters or they feel like they're connected to my characters. You know, I come from a theater background. When I write, I write characters as though I'm going to dive into them as an actor. You know, mm. I, I am so committed to their backstories, to their personalities, to their quirks, to their all of those things that make them more like real people. I think that has hopefully come through in my books. That people are able to connect to those characters, and I think that even though I'm kind of switching genres here a bit, I do think that still comes through. And so I hope people, you know, if they like the magic, you know, if they like the the world building, if they like the connection to characters, I feel like that all carries through. So you know, definitely give it a try. You know, historical fiction is not everybody's cup of tea, and my next project is going to be bringing me back to present day times. Um, so, you know, I guess I can say if historical fiction isn't your thing, hang on for another book and we'll be right back at it.
0: <laughs> okay. So is the, is there just going to be the three then for the Rift Magic? The yep. Rift
1: Magic saga is, is planned for three books and that's, mm-hmm. I'm not planning on taking it any further than that, at least right now.
0: Okay. And so what is so, the next project then? After well,
1: this? I've got a couple of ideas up my sleeve and I just kind of have to decide which one I'm going to do first. Yep. Um, One of them is a series based in coastal Maine and it has to do with witchcraft. Ooh, cool. Um, And the other potential route I can take is kind of weave my way back into the world of the gateway and kind of see if I can get myself back into that into that world a little bit so I don't know which project's gonna come first it's just gonna kind of depend like which one overtakes in my brain as far as yep. you know but but yeah I'm excited about that and I have a middle grade book idea as well that I'm throwing around but that might be I'm in my brain that's like a standalone book so that might be something I send to my agent and say you know yeah so, but see what you can go do with that
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is this what how, what do you do with that yeah
1: you know, it's like I'm—I'm I'm an indie author. I don't know how to—I don't know how to sell standalone books. So you need to take this now, <laughs> go, go bring funny. that over here.
0: <laughs> so what? What does your agent do for you then?
1: So uh, I have only just had an agent fairly recently. It was very funny. It came into it this very backwards way. Um, Typically, you write a manuscript, you query a million agents with it, and that's how your manuscript gets made into a book. Well, I made all my manuscripts into books. On my own. And then I built up a readership. And then I started I started with an email from a producer in LA who wanted to try to shop the trilogy around to, to pitch it as a TV series. Nice. So that's like in the process of, you know, I mean, and it's like, you know, <laughs> LA is where, you know, book manuscripts go to die. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so like, funny. off it goes and then... Probably nothing's going to happen, but it's just kind of cool that somebody wanted to try.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so, but through him, he said, you know, do you mind if I pass your books along to a friend of mine who's an agent? And I said, sure. I'm like, that's never going to be a bad thing to have more people in the book business knowing about my book, whether anything comes of it or not. Well, they pass them along to Trident, the agency is called Trident in, uh, in New York, and they loved the books and wanted to pitch them to uh, traditional publishers as almost like a rebrand. And the idea, of course, being that traditional publishing does have the benefit of being able to get you onto bookstore shelves in a way that you can't as an indie author. It's kind right. of like the hole in the fabric Right now, I mean, it's just the way independent bookstores work and big bookstores work. It's like that shelf space is like very limited and they reserve it for those big publisher books with lots of marketing behind them. You know, they want to sell those books. And if they take up their, you know, shelf space with every indie author who walks in their door and says, I wrote a book, then, you know, they're- They would need a bigger store. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so it's kind of backwards and weird. It's not the way people normally wind up signing with an agent or, or getting their work out on sub. But yeah, I mean, the Gateway Trilogy is out on sub right now to major publishers. I don't know if anything will come of it that's or amazing. not. But the nice thing about it is, like, it doesn't have to. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's just another iron in the fire. If it works out and it works out in a way that makes sense, that's great. But I think that traditional publishers have learned that indie publishers and uh, indie writers and particularly ones who have really figured out the business end of things and have really made it work for them are going to be a lot harder to lure over to traditional publishing. Like right. that advance is going to have to be yep. solid. you know, yep. that, And you those know,
0: contracts have to be solid.
1: Oh yeah. You yeah. really, I mean, indie authors, I think we have the advantage of really understanding the nitty gritty of the business end of it and the numbers end of it. You know, you have to, like, that's the only way you can make it work for you. And unfortunately for them, but fortunately for us, you know, that means we understand a lot more about what advance is going to be worth our time. We're going to know how to ask the right questions. How are you going to be marketing this? You you have to show me you're going to do things for these books that I can't do for myself. Right. And I told like, you know, we've sold hundreds of thousands of books. So it's like, you know, what can you do for me that I can't do for myself? I want to know how you're going to get me on those bookstore shelves. I want to, I want, you know, I want to hear about things like, you know, book crates and book clubs. And you know, Barnes and Noble teen pick of the month. you I mean it's like, you know, you can mm-hmm. bake those things into contracts and first time authors don't know a lot about that stuff and and yep. indie authors know about all of it because those are the things we know we would have a hard time doing for ourselves. So we know what to ask for. Absolutely. So um Absolutely. Yeah, I have no idea if anything's going to come of that or not. But like I said, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep putting out that books. Can't... And, uh, you know, anything like that is just, you know, icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned.
0: That is super amazing. I didn't, I actually missed that. So I don't know if you've put the news out on Twitter or anything yet. And I just happened to miss it or what? But that's, that's amazing. It, congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It's exciting. Um, but like I said, it's, it's also, it's a huge mind shift though, because traditional publishing moves at this glacial level pace Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and indie publishing is like go 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 so like (laughs) when those two things like collide with each other it's like it's really I mean I I, it's not um it's (laughs) a huge adjustment it's really yeah yeah and letting go of the control like letting things go off into the and then you don't know what's happening with them yeah no just let me know (laughs) that's a huge yeah that's it's like a
0: teen sending your teen off with their their car for the first time oh god okay (laughs)
1: exactly that's exactly right so you know it's just um I don't know it's exciting but like I said like when you're already working the indie side of things you really start to think about traditional publishing instead of it being like you know the city on the hill like you know that I must reach someday it really becomes more like okay I'm an author I have readers yeah, you know your, your gatekeepers can decide whether you want to cut of that or not. But when it comes down to it, I'm already doing my thing. So yeah, you know, what, what can you do for me? You you can see what I can do for you. I have a readership. I have you know lots of books out. I've got interest in 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 my next projects. You know, so it really just becomes like do you want in on that or not? And if you don't, then that's great. I'm just going to keep doing it. Sure. Do. And, and <laughs> I don't, it's, it, it's a nice feeling to have, honestly, because yeah. I think a lot of the first time authors sign some very bad contracts because they're just so over the moon. To, and that would have been me hundred percent. 2013, oh, yeah. one of those agents had said, yeah, I want to take your book. And then they'd found a publishing deal. I mean, I would have taken the most minuscule, <laughs> right? um, you right? know, uh, uh you know, offer that they gave me. And, you know, that advance would have been, and I would have been so thrilled because somebody said yes, Yeah. you know, and with indie publishing, you can say yes to yourself as many times as you want. And if you, you know, who's going to be a better advocate for your work and your books than you
0: for sure. You know, well, that, it, that brings me right around to like how you market your books because I found like you were one of the first ones and I've, I've seen your ads, like your Facebook ads for years but it was one of those, it wasn't until like my mindset was ready to get into reading that type of book that I was like, okay, it's, they're still here. I got to read it. And so like you've, you've known, I think you've known Facebook ads before most indie authors really got into them. So could you give my audience a little bit of insight into Facebook ads and how that came about for you?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I have to say I'm extraordinarily lucky. This is a, this is a two man operation over here. You know, my (laughs) Is a musician, um, and, but his day job was in marketing. Nice. And, uh, and so he really understood marketing. He was uh, par- running a marketing department for um, a conservatory that's local to us. And he really understood the ins and outs of digital marketing and saw the benefits of it, knew that that was the easiest way to reach the most people. And he taught himself. I mean, all those ads you see, he designs them, wow. the videos everything, all of those digital assets, he puts them together. That being said, anybody can put together a Facebook ad as long as you have an arresting image. That is going to be, you just want to look at that image. You want to ask yourself, is this, is this intriguing enough that people are going to stop scrolling long enough to read the words (laughs) underneath it? You know, that's really what you're looking for. How do you stop the scroll? And uh, Facebook ads, you know, the platform has gotten much better over time. It's a lot more user-friendly. It's a lot easier. You can set your limits for how much you want to spend. I will say for first-time authors and first-time marketers, if you are looking for return on your investment, if you are looking for breaking even slash making a profit, I recommend not starting to advertise your books in a hardcore way until you have several of them out already, because what's going to, I mean, when you look at ads for my books, you, you know, you don't see ads for book two, book three, book four, no point. Right. You see ads for book one. That's what you see. Or you might see something that says like the name of the whole series, but you're not going to see an ad for individual books that aren't the first book. And you have to think of that first book as your loss leader. You are not going to, you are probably not going to turn a profit on that book. You are going to advertise the heck out of that book. And you're going to count on the quality of that book to then sell the second book and the third book and the fourth book and the so on and so on. The read through is where you make your money. So Mm -hmm. that is my initial, because the Facebook ad platform, fairly easy to use, easy to adjust, you know, how much you're spending, how much you want to spend per day easy to take down an ad, easy to put up a new one. I trust that indie authors can definitely like figure out how to use that platform. The Amazon ad platform is a little bit trickier, but still worth learning. Twitter is a black hole. Don't advertise on Twitter. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) Twitter is like where ads go to die.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't even know that I've ever seen an ad on Twitter. Exactly, Exactly.
1: It's just, no, it's just... Yeah. But, um, but I will say that Facebook, Amazon, pretty easy platforms to to use, but make sure you have enough books in your library. You know, it it doesn't need to be 30 books, but I would say three books, four books, enough so that you're going to make up that spend through set your first book at a lower price point to entice people in. You don't have to give it away. I think sometimes the danger with giving your book away, I've never given away that book for free, except on like maybe like a one day special, Mm. whatever. I have found that assigning a value to your book, like will it stop some people from clicking on it? Sure. But the thing is people who download and click three free books have no incentive to then read those books. They were free. They can sit on their Kindle forever. They could download 30, free books in a day. And then never, I mean, do you know how many books I have in my Kindle that I haven't read? And I paid for like almost, all, I mean, pretty much all of them, Yeah. you know, yeah. because you know, once they're in there and they get all shuffled together and you didn't pay for it anyway. So there's no feeling of like, oh, I just spent money on this. I should read it. So even if it's 99 cents, even if it's dollar ninety nine, assign a certain amount of value to that first book, make them see that it's Something that is worth, you know, and then that way, if they click on it and they actually buy it, you are going to have a better chance of that read-through going through the rest of your series. And of course, the other thing is that it just comes down to: don't put your books out there till they're ready, till you're ready, because you do have to count on that first book has to be polished, has to be your best work, because that's your launch pad into the rest of your series. And if you keep advertising that first book and it's not the best, you can make it then you're not going to get the read-through you need to to make spending all that ad money worth it.
0: Absolutely. That's a really great tip. I don't think that we've talked about that one before, um, about having that launch pad really be, I mean, we've probably talked about it in passing and other things, but not on the podcast. So that's a really great tip. So I assume that you said you do Amazon ads as well. Do you do BookBub ads at all?
1: We do BookBub. Yeah, we do. We do Instagram. Instagram is definitely trickier than Facebook and Amazon, just because of you're dealing with generally like a younger population. You're dealing with a lot of likes and a lot of interaction, but not necessarily a ton of click through, but you know what? It is a good way to raise brand awareness. If they get hit with your ad a few times, you know, you can retarget people who interact with your ad. That's really key because if you can hit those people a few times, you know what it's like. You see an ad, you're like, Oh yeah, you click on it. And then you're like, "Mm, not today. But now you're going to see that ad like.
0: <laughs> yes. Know. Yes. It's going <laughs> <Yeah. you now. laughs> to haunt you now.
1: It's going to haunt you now. It's because it, it knows you really did. You were interested enough to click on it the first time. So they're going to keep yeah. hitting you with it. And probably eventually you're going to click through and buy, you know, whatever it is.
0: <laughs> Right. So,
1: authors can do the same thing. If you have people interacting with your ads, you can retarget those same people. And I definitely recommend retargeting populations that interact with your ads because then you're going to have a better chance that at some point they're going to see that and say, Oh yeah, that's right. I was looking at that. A lot of times it's just like mindless, like, Oh yeah, that looks cool. But I'm like not committed in my brain right now to shopping. But at some point you're going to, it's going to come up and you're going to say, Hey, like, yes, that's right. That's that book. I was thinking of that I saw the thing for, cause you know how everyone's brains are. It's like, you know, the other, like it's gone, you know, but if you retarget, then the people who showed some initial interest to at least stop and click then and like it, you know, then you're going to remind them that that book still exists and hopefully eventually you're going to get some readers out of it. So
0: absolutely. Well, I I can say from experience that that's the case, especially like the one that sticks in my mind for you the the most was the one where you had, I think it was all of the books and there was a a line of fire across the bottom. That -hmm. was the one that like, it followed me everywhere. (laughs) I was (laughs) like, okay, I get the hint. I will read this thing. Jeez. (laughs) That was the one that I was like, everywhere I went. (laughs)
1: yeah you and you want to walk the line between like you know intriguing and like annoying like oh my god no it wasn't annoying it was was just just, it kept reminding me every
0: time (laughs) yeah
1: yeah right but it's like you know it's good it's good to remind people it's good to retarget people you know it's going to take a few tries probably before they finally click all the way through but you just want to make sure that when they click through like you're ready like you're ready to go like
0: oh heck yes
1: you know, yeah, you got the read through there and, and uh, yeah, and that's how you find people. I mean, there, there are definitely other ways to get readers. You know, some people try really, really hard to get people to sign up for newsletters. I do do a newsletter, but I have found that the organic building of the newsletter has been better for me than the clickbaity version of trying to get people to sign up for the newsletter just because I find the retention rate is so much better. Oh, yeah. You um, know, I just put the link at the end of the book, you know, to sign up for the newsletter if you want to. And I just find that the people who come across the newsletter in that way and sign up for it are the people who actually want to be there. So that every time you send out a newsletter, you don't have like 30 people like unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. Like right. I always did that for <laughs> the free short story and now I'm gone, you know. So, yeah. I know. There are people who will tell you to really push, push, push the newsletter. it's definitely, you can definitely get a lot of initial signups that way. I just find retention rate is better. If you build the newsletter process into the book reading process, you
0: just, I think that's the key too. It's like, if you're in that mindset that you want, you know, you want this thing and you're trying to force it to grow like super fast, then you have to do these things super fast and force it all to to be a thing. But if you're looking at it as a long-term long haul game, it makes more sense to just do the the organic reach to try to pull in those readers who are really going to stick around. I agree. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you can use your social media in the same way every once in a while. It's like, Hey, like if you want to get more updates, like it just does reminders to people. But again, that's your social media. The people there have already chosen to be there. They've chosen to follow you, yep. you know, there. They've already expressed they're interested in your content. And so again, that's much more targeted than just sign up for my newsletter, people who've never heard of me. And I'll give you a free, you know, short story. And I don't know. It's just, like I said, you can get a lot of clicks, you can get a lot of initial signups, but then I just feel like you spend your whole life like cleaning up your email list after that, because there's like so much unsubscribing. It's like, there's gotta
0: be a better way. Yeah. It's
1: kind of disheartening. So yeah, organic reach on that stuff, I think is really, like you said, for the long game, definitely better.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So for The new authors who are listening to the podcast, who are trying to figure out like what, what to do or how to, how to make their, their career successful. Do you have any advice for like those first time authors, just kind of dipping their toe in the indie, indie space?
1: I would just say, make sure that the stories you're writing are the stories from your heart and not, I mean, it's very tempting to just write to trend. And I'm not saying that that doesn't work. There are definitely a lot of authors who are just writing the trend <laughs> yes. and, you know, and that, and that works for them. I think your work will go further with your readers. If you really are writing the stories, you really, really want to write, like, don't be afraid to write the stories you really want to write because chances are, if you really want to write them, there are people out there who really want to read them. And like I said, especially if you see a whole somewhere in the genre that you feel like you could fill, like going back to the paranormal, the idea of the paranormal and thinking to myself, wow, I haven't seen a single ghost book in all of this. And ghosts feel very paranormal to me. And it was like that little niche. And I would get that a lot from people. They would say, you know, wow, you know, I love paranormal books. This series was really different, you know? And then that's Mm -hmm. that's nice to hear, you know? And then I would just say, just like you want to have a clear understanding of, of what you're writing and why you're writing it, Think about what you want your brand to be. You really want to do have a little bit of a of a brand going on. The types of books you write. And that's not to say you can't branch out. I mean, eleven books later, I'm writing a new series. But there's a paranormal element to it. There's a magic element to it. Feel like I can tie them through. Really, what you want is readers to know what they're coming to you for. When I Mm -hmm. click, when I read one of this author's books, what am I going to get? Like this is what I get. This is the vibe. You know, has to be more than vibes, but you get the idea. Your yep. website, your social media page, you, re- you want to think about tying everything together with familiar images so that your readers get a sense of just from clicking on your website, there should be an aesthetic. There should be a, they should be able to tell visually what your books are about, what you're about. And that takes plenty of trial and error, so don't feel like you need to like nail it on your first try. Like, just you know, just do your best, come up with a concept, and then don't be afraid to adjust on the fly. Because I feel like indie publishing is all about adjusting on the fly, like oh, for in sure. every <laughs> single aspect. <laughs> it's like parenting.
0: Right.
1: Hmm. <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Wow, you didn't know that trick yesterday, and <laughs> now you. Do. And now I have to figure out how to get you to not do that. Right. But, I mean. It's very similar. Like it's all about improvising. It's all about adjusting on the fly. But just try to stay true to the types of stories you're trying to write. Remember your why, you know, why are you a writer? Why are you writing this story? Why do you want people to read it? And if that can just stay at the heart of what you're doing, you know, you're never gonna be too far off the mark.
0: I agree. That that's a philosophy I've had as well for a very long time. I think I wrote a blog post and like probably 2015 called fuck being relevant because everyone was talking about being relevant. And I'm like, I don't care. I got to write the thing that I want (laughs) to write.
1: You know, what's funny about that is when I was querying originally a piece of paranormal YA at the height of twilight madness, um, (laughs) there's something to be said for rising above the noise. You know, I, I heard a lot of, sorry, our list is really flooded with this kind of thing right now. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, sorry, we're getting nothing but paranormal, you know, like, it's like, you know, it's like, mm, you know, but I knew there was a little, a little hole in that market there, like a little Mm. space that I could fill. And, you know, I think that's true for anybody who's writing, you know, from a from a minority point of view, from an LGBTQ point of view, you know, you, you, know, you look for representation. There are people who don't see themselves in books enough. And then, so then they want to write those stories. So kids like them can see themselves, you know, I, you know, I didn't feel that way about ghosts necessarily, but you know, it's not, it's not the same kind of thing, but you know, you write a story and you know why you want to write it. And you feel like putting it out there will, help somebody else connect to a bigger idea, you know, a lot of the gateway books has to do with loss, coping with loss, coping with, uh, you know, found family, you know, when, when your family is not what you need it to be finding the people around you to kind of make that family for yourself, you know, learning to trust people, learning to allow yourself to love people. Like, you know, it's, there are a lot of themes there that I felt like were really important. And I, when I was writing them, I was glad that they were going out into the universe and I hoped that somebody yeah. would, would connect with them. And that's, I mean, that's all you can hope. That's all you can, <laughs> yeah. it's like, that's, that's what it's all about. I mean, God, like writing books, like reaching out across pages to people, like, you know, the, uh, it builds so much empathy. It builds so much understanding between people who have disparate point of views. Like you, we're not going to find better weapons to combat what's going on in the world and in culture today than what you're going to find between the pages of a book. You're just, it remains the, the best tool we have for yeah. sure.
0: All right. Well, where can my audience find you if they want to connect with you and to obviously download all of the books that you've written because they're amazing. <laughs> um, everybody go <laughs> buy them. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. Um, so, you can uh, eehomes.com. You can find all of my books there right on the book page. You've got links to ebook, paperback, audio. Every single one of my books that's out so far is available on audio, with the exception of The Rebel Beneath the Stairs, but that's in production now. And uh, I am on Twitter at author ee holmes i'm on facebook you can find my facebook page there um i'm on instagram also author ee holmes and i'm actually now on cameo so (laughs) if you are a reader of the series or you have a reader of the series in your family and you want a birthday shout out or a question answered about the series or something like that i can
0: send you a little personalized video i love it what got you into that one
1: it's yeah it's, it's cool. I've done cameos. I've gotten cameos for my kids from their favorite YouTubers, you know, and oh, stuff. Oh, so cool. Made their whole day and I was like, "Oh, and all the and all the proceeds from the cameo videos go to the Trevor Project, which if you've read oh. the Gateway books and you're familiar with Milo, you will understand why that is a charity very close to my heart." So yeah, you can find me there and, you know, just all about, and if you see me in any of those places, you need to tell me to get my butt off of the internet and back to work. So please <laughs> <laughs> <you just> do, <laughs> I to mean, say hi first and then be like, shouldn't you be writing though? <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> I'm totally going to be doing that from now on. <laughs> and yeah. then you can send no, it back exactly,
1: to me. Carissa, every time you see me, you're like, you're not supposed to be here.
0: <laughs> right. And then you can send the other <laughs> one work. and be like, you're not
1: either. <laughs> Well, what are you doing here, Carissa? I don't know. What are you doing here? I'm
0: like, <laughs> like
1: nothing. Damn it, nothing. <laughs> Not avoiding my work. Definitely not procrastinating. Not me. <laughs> no, never. Oh God,
0: <laughs> she knows.
1: <laughs> oh, no, all of our writer brains work exactly the same way. They Squirrel. do. No, like we, you know, we're
0: just <laughs> right. <laughs> Squirrel. If dog. Could... Is it snowing? I don't know if it's snowing. Should <laughs> I rake? <laughs> yeah, I get all the. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If we could focus on one thing in a rational manner, we wouldn't be writers. So I agree. Embrace it. Let's embrace it.
0: We got to embrace our weird. It's all good. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it, Emily.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So what do you think? You're going to go run out and get those books right now, aren't you? I know you are. (laughs) I will tell you right away, the Gateway Trilogy was one of those series that just put me in the right mindset when it came to getting in the groove for the Windhaven Witches, and it just, it had the right kind of spooky level and cool vibe. Plus, she brought in all those British elements, which is always fun for me because of obviously having Colin and the the boys in the house. It's just kind of part of my world, so being able to read on the page when there are British characters is just fantastic. So at any rate, I will definitely make sure that there are links up to Emily's website and to her books. So head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash 107 if you'd like to get those links quick and easy, or if you'd like to download today's transcript, because I know we talked about a lot of really cool things. All right, guys, I hope you race out. I hope you go get some of her books because she is so fantastic. And I know that I'm going to be reading on with the Gateway Trackers series as well. All right, guys, we'll talk to you again next week. Go forth and start your author revolution. This podcast episode has been brought to you by four amazing people Daphne Garrison. Tammy Tyree, Quinn Ward, and Scarlett Braden, who are Author Revolution Podcast Patreon supporters. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a patron, head over to authorrevolution.org forward slash Patreon to find out what the awesome membership levels are and what you end up getting. The Author Revolution Podcast is here to provide tips, tricks, and tools for embracing a prolific author mindset and making your dreams of becoming a full-time author a reality.